Good morning. Have your Bibles with you. Open to the book of Nehemiah chapter 6. There was a movie that came out back in 1991, and it was entitled Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And there is a scene where a young man out in Sherwood Forest is drawing back his, his arrow on his bow, and he's taking aim at the target, and Robin comes up behind him with another arrow with the feathers in it and tickles his ear. As he's about to release, he does that, and as he releases the arrow, of course, he misses the target completely. And Robin tells him, you have to make the shot even among distractions. Well, Maid Marion is behind that young boy and hears this discussion. So she goes, well, Robin, can you make the shot when you're distracted? And as Robin pulls his arrow back on his bow, right before he releases, she kind of flirtatiously blows in his ear. And of course, he misses the target completely. It hits the tree behind it and almost takes out a bystander. My point being, distractions come in all types, whether they are painful or pleasant. And the result is the same. We miss the mark, which is the definition of sin. Missing God's mark or missing His standard. Now, some of us are more easily distracted than others, but all of us can be distracted, diverted, or sidetracked at times. In our text, we will see the work on the wall had reached a crucial stage and was almost complete. Failing in every previous, previous attempt to stop the work, Sambalet and his malicious allies conclude the final solution is to murder Nehemiah. And they could do this outside the city or inside the temple. And despite all their effort, even with inside help, the wall is completed. And it's accomplished, number one, by God's strength, and number two, the people's courage. So how did Nehemiah stay focused and not get distracted? How did he dodge the distractions? The text will reveal the answer. And may I say, don't get distracted as we read the text starting in verse 1 chapter 6 now it was reported to Sambalet Tobiah and to Kishon the Arab to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates then Sabelt and Kishon sent a message to me saying come let us meet together at Kephira in the plan of Anna, but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner and I answered them in the same way. Then Sabalat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it's reported among the nations and Kishim that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king according to these reports. 
You have also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you, a king is in Judah. And now it will be reported to the king according to these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged with the work and will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, son of Metubal, who was confined at home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple. For they're coming to kill you and they're coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee? And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalet had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin, so they might have an evil report in order they could reproach me. Remember, O oh my God, Tobiah and Sambalet, according to these works of theirs, and also Nabiah, the prophecies and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. So the wall was completed on the 25th month of Elul in 52 days. And all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it. They lost their confidence, for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Also in those days, many letters from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shekinah, the son of Arah, and the son of Jehonah, and had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Becherah. Moreover, moreover, excuse me, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Ooh, that's a long passage and a lot of difficult Hebrew names to pronounce. My apologies, I probably murdered some of them, but I did the best I can complete my little cheat sheet up here. Let's turn back to the text. Verses 1-9, through nine, you see distraction by deception. Now verse 1 tells that the, the wall had been set up, been completed, but they hadn't stored the gates yet, the doors and the gates as of yet. So the city was still vulnerable to attack, but for not much longer. And the enemy knew they had to do something quickly before their opportunity was gone. So the first thing they do is try to lure him outside the city with the pretense of peacemaking. Now it's not difficult to Nehemiah to determine from past experience. Look in verse 2. They were planning. They were scheming. They were plotting to harm me. The enemy tried to draw him out from where he was secure. Now the message looked innocent enough, but Nehemiah knew if he went out there, he would end up dead. And that got to me to thinking. The same is true about you and I. Satan tries to lure us out, to draw us out from where we are secure. And that is the presence of God and in His Word. We are the most vulnerable when we stray from God or stray from His Word. And there's many things in our lives that can be distracting. Friends, music, movies, smartphones, social media and hobbies. And there's much more you could add to that list. 
And so many things in our world fight for our attention. When we allow these things to take too much of our time and attention, we get distracted and we lose focus. And if we're overly distracted and preoccupied with other things, our ears will not hear Jesus' call to walk with Him. They're trying to lure Him out where He was safe and secure. And the same thing happens to us when our enemy, Satan, tries to lure us out. And it starts real small. Oh, don't go to Bible study. You, you can miss. You, you worked hard yesterday. Oh, you can miss this. Now, I'm not taking... There's, there's times for sabbaticals and going on vacation. Yes, we have to rest. And may I say as a side note, that's one of our problems. We have all these modern conveniences, and yet we, we still have time for anything. Please, dearly beloved, take time to rest. Look in verse 4. They sent message to him like this four different times with the same proposal. Well, they're desperate to draw him out. And that also serves as a reminder. Satan's not going to tempt you one time and walk away. That repeated temptation can weaken your resistance. He's going to attack. He's going to attack. And if we're not in God's Word, putting on the full armor of God every single day, as I said before from this pulpit, He will use anything and everything at His disposal to trip you up. Nehemiah stood firm and was careful not to let the opposition distract him or divert him from his main purpose. Now look at verse 5. So they tried that four times. With verse 5, they changed the tactic just a little bit. Sambalat sent his servant to Nehemiah a fifth time with an open letter. Here's a, here's a remark right off of if Sambalat truly, truly wanted peace, why didn't he go to Jerusalem himself to talk to Nehemiah instead of sending his servant? And in this letter, he drops a pretense of friendliness and peacemaking. Now he says he's going to try to spread these rumors that could damage the work. Now, this is very subtle. On the one hand, it could have distracted Nehemiah from his purpose. However, the rumors, if un left unchecked, could affect public support and bring down the wrath of the Persian king upon them. Now back in Ezra 4, same reports went out and the king decreed that the work should stop. And the Jews knew this as well. So now he's, once again, he's, he's stepping up this little bit. First he was kind of friendly, let's be friends, and now he's saying, wait a second, if you don't do this, I'm going to tell on you. Almost like a tattletale, isn't it? Look, he says in verse 6, Jews are planning to rebel and you're going to be their king. Look at verse 7, you have also appointed prophets to proclaim a king is in Judah and a strong wall would make a rebellion even more viable. And no doubt that some among Nehemiah remembered the prophecies of restoration. So he said, you're building this wall. You're going to lead the people in rebellion and you're proclaiming yourself to be king. And if you don't come out and make peace with me and stop this nonsense, I'm going to tell the king what's truly going on. Look what he says in verse 8, his response. Such things you are saying have not been done. It's slander and gossip. 
Now, slander and gossip usually play some kernel of truth or weakness of a leader. That's legitimate to defend oneself against inaccuracy of slander, but sometimes it's better just to ignore it. But Nehemiah just ignores the lies, denies them, and the work continues. In other words, he doesn't get distracted by this. He knows what he's doing is from God. He's not going to let them distract him, get this whole big thing about you said, he said. He's saying, no, they're not true. And the work continued on. And in verse 9, he says, all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will be discouraged. And he asked God, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. He saw what they were doing, trying to scare everybody to stop. And going back to what I said earlier about Satan trying to draw us out, well, look what he did here. Not only would Satan try to draw you out where you are safe, out all by yourself, but he would just try to destroy your character by distracting those who are with you. Create doubts in their minds concerning your motives and intentions. He will attack you that way. In verses 10 through 14, you see distraction by intimidation. Look in verse 10. He goes to the house of Shemaiah, where he is shut up, literally shut up in the Hebrew, at home. Now, why was this guy shut up or shut in his house? If he was shut in, then how could he flee to the temple if he was richly unclean or incapacitated some? Now, if Delilah was his father in 1 Chronicles 24.18, he was a priest. I tend to think this way, just perhaps it was symbolic to show Nehemiah how much danger there was. He was sitting in his house because he didn't want to get murdered or see Nehemiah murdered, so he was setting the stage. And so Nehemiah accepted his invitation. He thought he was a prophet. But we find out Shemaiah had sold out to the opposition his influence to try to undermine Nehemiah, and he may have thought he was indeed doing the thing, right thing. But look in verse 12, Nehemiah tells us he perceived that surely God had not sent him. Now Nehemiah was able to discern that he was a fraud. Now Nehemiah was sensitive to God's will. He wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He did not want to be close to what God's message could be through a prophet. So how did he discern that Shemaiah was false. He was a fraud. Look at two questions. Look back in the text. The two questions in verse 11. Should a man like me flee? To show fear or even cowardice would imply a lack of trust in God. Go back since chapter 1. Nehemiah was certain this is what God wanted him to do. And he always gives credit to God in every single chapter. It would undermine the confidence of the people in his leadership. If he goes off and hides, other people will say, well, what about us? We're out here in the open. And look at the second question. Could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? Now, Deuteronomy 18.20 and Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20 tells us if a word claims to be prophecy but contradicts what God has already revealed, we should be suspicious, suspicious of what's being said. Nehemiah, remember what God had told him about rebuilding the wall, bringing the people back. For him to run and hide and be scared would contradict what God had told him in the first place. And if it contradicts what God says, then you know it's not prophecy. Can I just say in, in, in passing here, there's a lot of people out there 
who are talking about prophecy, which is fine. But if it contradicts what God has already revealed in His Word, then it's not prophecy. It is not His Word. And he comes to this conclusion in verse 13, that he was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin. The strategy here is to discredit the leader. And that's common today. We can learn from Nehemiah's decision what's the right thing to do. Leave the outcome to God. The enemy tried, they hired Shemaiah to give a false prophecy, get Nehemiah to compromise God's word. Nehemiah knew the temple was not a hideout or a fort for the fearful, so he did not do it. Let's go back to what we're talking about. First, Satan will try to draw you out where you're safest. He will try to destroy your character by distracting those who are with you, by giving them to doubt what you're doing. And number three, he will try to draw you out and just be plain disobedient to God. See these steps, how they increase every one of them? And in verse 15 and following to the end of the chapter, we find that the wall is complete. In spite of all they have done in the last three chapters, all these distractions and things they try to do to Nehemiah and the people, the wall is now finished. The best way, dearly beloved, to dodge distractions is to keep working and fulfill God's will. Stay focused. And by so doing, other people will see God's power in action. We see that in the text. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, they will be saved when Jesus comes back, that day of visitation, the second coming, they'll glorify God along with the rest of us. And as the people saw this wall being done, they realized they were able to complete this wall because of the help of their God. Now remember that wall is probably nine feet thick. This is before they had modern technology, tractors and trucks. Some of the wall had been broken down. Most of the wall was broken down in rubbles. And they replaced it, look at this, in 52 days in verse 15. It tells us it was a six-month Elul. So chapters 2 and 6 all those events fit in that six-month period. Now, 52 days seem rather short. But it clearly demonstrates what can be accomplished when the community follows God and follows God's leader. You can do extraordinary things. And dear beloved, you can look at story after story after story in the Bible and you will see ordinary people do extraordinary things when they give it over to God. And look at verse 16. When the enemies heard of it and the nations surrounding saw it, they lost confidence. Literally in the Hebrew, they fell exceedingly in their own eyes. An unfamiliar idiom, but it suggests that their pride was suddenly vanished. And though the enemies increased because of Sambalit, the result was that more people were impressed with God's power. Sambalit, even though he got a lot of people on his cause, more people stood in awe of what the Jews did. 
Judah's enemies try to make Nehemiah and the Jews afraid, but in the end, they're the ones who feared God. Psalm 56.4 And God, whose words I praise, and God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Dear beloved, we need to live that and repeat that on these days in which we live. The enemy is trying to make us afraid that we will not go out and spread the gospel and do God's work. But who should I, why should I be afraid of man? Now, I'm not ready to be a martyr. I like to stay around and see my kids continue to grow and my grand, my grandchildren grow up. But let me, let, just the fact is that no matter what happens to me, God has me safely in his hand and nothing can get me out. It's not even the devil himself can tear me out of God's hands. And look in verse 17. You see letters going back from the nobles of Judah to the Tobiah throughout this period. After all this has happened, this is still going on. There's still opposition after the wall is completed. And the enemy was not just people from outside those walls. Some of them were relational. They were son-in-law. There was a strategy here to cause friction between Nehemiah and the priestly families. In verse 19, they were speaking about Tobiah's good deeds in my present, reporting my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. There are family here. Go back and look at the last few verses. Tobiah was still trying to cause division, even after all this. Once the gates are up, the enemy could not get in unless they allowed them in. And that's true for us. If Satan can't draw you out alone in order to get to you, if he cannot destroy your character by distracting those with you, if he cannot draw you into being disobedient to God, he will distract you by talking about you from outside those walls. He'll try to use friends and relatives to get to you, thereby getting you to open the gate and let him in. And he will do everything in his power. He will never stop to get in by distracting you, thereby causing you to lose focus. The enemy didn't give up then. And he will not give up now. Follow Nehemiah's example. Don't let Satan draw you out from where you're secured. God and his word. Don't get sidetracked by him trying to spread rumors about your character to those around you. Don't let him talk you into being disobedient to God. And don't let him use other things outside to get you distracted about following God. People will call you names. Let's just be honest. They'll call you narrow-minded, bigoted, racist, Bible thumper, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's getting worse. I mean, turn on TV, you've seen it. But we can't let that distract us from the call that God has put on our lives. To the call that God has put on us as a local body of believers. So Nehemiah dodged those distractions by doing that. By staying where he was secure. By denying accusations. Staying focused on the Word. Not being led to be disobedient. And by understanding the enemy will never stop. Why do people oppose God's work? It amazes me that 
how far Sambalet and Tobiah have gone up to this point to stop this. I mean, they, 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 they don't stop. Why do people oppose God's work? Now bear with me. If they admit that God is working, that admission implies that they recognize His power. If they continue to convince themselves that the gospel really is not true, or that anything that is done is not the effect of God working, they can remain comfortable in their unbelief or indifference. However, this self-confidence receives a blow when they understand that God has really been working in and through His people. Is that scenario true of you? See, you say, I see God working, then you, by definition, admitting that there is a God who works. But then people want to turn around and say, well, I don't believe there is a God. Follow with me now. As a society, we thank God for many things He has done, many blessings. For example, thank God for waking up. Your alarm clock worked this morning. Thank God for your family. You thank God for your friends, your fellow classmates, your co-workers. You thank God for your car starting. Green lights. You ever thank God for green lights all turning green at one time? I have. Thank God for the foods you eat. No lines at your favorite place to eat. Woo! No one's in line. Thank God. How many times do you hear that phrase out there? Thank God. Thank God for running into someone you haven't seen in a while. Thank God for any kind of sale. Anything that's free. Thank God for the weather, the sun rises, and the sun sets. If we as a society are saying, thank God, then by definition we're realizing that God is working. But why is it that we want to deny the most precious, the most powerful work that God has ever done through His Son, Jesus Christ? And people all the time around thanking God for this and thanking God for that. If you believe that none of these things, if you don't believe God in God, then why would you thank God that He's working? Now, some things happen due to our choices. But if you believe some things are the result of God working, why would you deny His greater work of all, the Gospel? You see His power working in and through His people, the church. We don't claim to be perfect. We just claim that we're forgiven. You see the logic of my argument. These people around Nehemiah, these enemies of Sambalet and Tobiah and the rest of them, they couldn't not deny the work that had happened. That great wall was built with a few people, as he called them, the feeble Jews. Pull this thing off because it was God. And the enemies and the nations saw that. They could not deny it. But they still tried to stop it. And today... God is still working. He's still transforming lives, reconciles relationships, but the enemy still wants to stop the work. And just like Nehemiah and those Jews of long ago, he will attack leadership and he will attack you, try to frighten you to stay in the house and not say a word. And may I submit to you this morning, one of the problems that we have today as we sat down quiet for far too long. We need to rise up and declare the love of God. Not just what we say, but what we do. We are so blessed this morning. We have a young lady giving her heart to Christ and is going to follow in obedience with baptism. You cannot deny 
the power of God work in this woman's life. We're going to see evidence of that. Baptism is just an outward sign of what always happened inside her heart. She's died to herself. She's raised in the resurrection power of Christ through the power of God. You can't deny that. That's God working. God is working even when we feel that He's not working, like that song says. Look back at Nehemiah's story. Look what they did. Look what he did. I often wondered, and it's not in the text, but Nehemiah was a man like me. I'm sure he had worries, maybe some doubts. Every thought he saw up late at night going, how am we going to pull this off? Lord, I don't understand. But I know you've told me to do it. Therefore, I will do it. And some of you are sitting in your pew right now. God's calling you to something. And right now you're having an argument with yourself. I don't know how to do this. I'm not equipped. Well, you're exactly right. You know how to. You're not equipped. But God equips those who's called. If He's called you, He will sustain you and He will never forsake you. But it's still your choice. What are you going to do? Some of you, He's calling into relationship to Himself through Jesus Christ, His only Son. You can accept that invitation today and receive that gift by giving your life to Christ, to admitting to God, confessing, which means to agree with God, that Jesus is His Son, that you've broken His laws, you want forgiveness, you want God in your life through His Son. You want to become His. Perhaps you've done that. Perhaps there's things that drawing you out. Perhaps the enemy has drawn you out and you've strayed from God and His Word. You've strayed from His people. And now the enemy has beaten you up and has kicked you, as they say, to the curb and you're beaten and you're tired and you're lonely. He's right here saying, come back on home. He still loves you. He'll welcome you back. And so will we. Or maybe He's calling you to join us here. Look around us. Not too many here, huh? But we're still here. We still see God working. We're having one being baptized this morning. We got more coming down the road. People are coming to Christ. People are coming. God's still working. What you so afraid of? And I have to remind myself every morning, what am I so afraid of? God has called us. God will sustain us. And God will never forsake us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this time we can come together and to sing praises together, to worship You together, and to hear from You together. Father, we claim that promise now that Your Word would not return to Your void. Father, continue to work in and through us. And may we respond in obedience to Your call You place in all our lives. Father, let these people know in a real, tangible way, how much You love them. How much You want to be with them. And Father, how much it, You just want to be part of their lives. To be with them in the good times and the bad times. Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your mercy, Your forgiveness, Your long-suffering that leads us all to repentance. We love you, and we thank you for your Son, Jesus, whose name we pray.
Amen. Would you stand with me, please?